Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, folks, and thank you for listening to the show. I'm Joanna. I'm Nate, and this is Stranger Than. Uh, Today we have a wild episode for you. Uh, Joanna is going to talk about some more of the Bridgewater Triangle stuff. That is right. And I'm going to be talking about a cryptid and a kind of cryptid. And you know, that's funny because I'm actually focusing on like cryptids and weird things in the Bridgewater Triangle on this episode. Well, we got a cryptid heavy episode, which is just fine. Absolutely. So why don't you start us out this time, Joanna? Okay, well, uh, before I get going, my sources for what I'm going to talk about today are www.legendsofamerica.com, www.revelatornetwork.com, www.enterprisenews.com, turntoten.com slash news, and anomalien.com. And, of course, the 2013 documentary, The Bridgewater Triangle. As I've touched on before, many, many different cryptids have been spotted in the Bridgewater Triangle area. We talked about Pukwudgies. Which is my favorite. Mm Mm-hmm. And there may be a brief mentioning of Pukwudgies later on in this episode. I'm all for any sized mentioning of Pukwudgies. But other than Pukwudgies, just about every cryptid you can imagine has been spotted in the area. 1970 was the most documented year for Bigfoot sightings. Uh, Local and state police participated in a huge search in the Bridgewater area because there were a series of huge bear sightings at the time. They even employed hunting dogs. Now, Lauren Coleman, who is the author of Mysterious America and the guy who happened to coin the the term Bridgewater Triangle, he actually interviewed a police officer who said it definitely was not a bear, but Bigfoot. The officer claimed that not only had he seen the creature, but it actually came up to the back of his squad car and lifted the back of it up off of the ground with him inside of it. Oh, God. Yes. That doesn't surprise me. Uh, Sasquatch has been known to fuck some shit up. Yeah. A West Bridgewater resident named uh, Carlton Wood also said that he has 
that he saw Bigfoot in the Hockamock Swamp in 1970 when he was just a kid. The hairy man, quote unquote hairy man, was seen by several other children at the time as well. Now, another Bigfoot sighting came in later on in the 70s, and this was reported by a woman who saw a tall bipedal creature in her garden one night snacking on a pumpkin. It had dark hair and reddish eyes. When it noticed her, it ran into the woods, taking the pumpkin with it. I wouldn't leave my pumpkin tree behind either. Hell no. Take my pumpkin and run. Yeah. Now, in the 80s, there was a fur trapper named John Baker, and he was also from West Bridgewater. One night, he was out in his canoe running a trap line when he began to get the feeling that he was being watched. He could hear the ice creaking under something that was near him. Now, he told his story to the Boston Herald, and they quoted him as saying, Something was following me, and I knew it was big. I knew it wasn't a human because when it passed by me, I could smell it. It smelled like a skunk, musty and dirty, like it lived in the dirt. To this day, I don't know what it was, but I know I saw it, and I know it was out there. Damn. Yeah. Bigfoot's everywhere. Yes, and I mean, these are just a few of uh, many, many Bigfoot stories that come out of the area. So, Bigfoot likes the Bridgewater Triangle, and in particular, the Hockamock Swamp area. Yeah, well, I mean, who wouldn't, really? Right. Now, another thing that has been reported is giant birds, sometimes called thunderbirds. Oh, They're, yeah, yeah. It's been mentioned that there was there's even maybe a pterodactyl that's been seen, but and I tried to find some like specific instances of people reporting that they saw a pterodactyl, and I was unable to. So, but there is um, a pretty uh, legit sighting of uh, a giant bird, a thunderbird, and that occurred in 1971, and that was seen by a Norton police sergeant named Thomas Downey. He was driving along Winter Street in Mansfield towards his home in Easton. And as he approached a place that was known as Bird Hill. Oh, well, there you go. Oddly enough, he saw a humongous winged creature. He said it was over six feet tall and it had a wingspan of eight to 12 feet is what he reported. Big fucking bird. Big fucking bird. Now, what's really cool about this is when I was doing, you know, trying to find out more giant bird sightings, <laughs> there is actually one with pictures and everything that occurred a couple of months ago in December oh, really? of 2021. Oh, I'll be damned. Yes. In that same and area? It's, and it's a, cr- yes, wow. right in that same area. And I'm just going to read the, the NBC 10 news article. So it's dated Wednesday, December 22nd, 2021. Uh, It's by Kelly O'Neill for NBC 10 News. And so it's in Taunton, Massachusetts, which, I mean, a lot of shit has happened in Taunton. And it's right there in the the Bridgewater Triangle. Right in the the Triangle. It's right in the Triangle. 
There was a celebrity spotting along the Taunton River in Massachusetts on Monday. More than 100 people waited to catch a glimpse of the rare sight. It's the first time a Stellar's sea eagle has ever been spotted in the state, likely the same bird seen in Alaska, eastern Canada, and Texas over the past year. Quote, to say it's unusual is an understatement. This is extraordinary, end quote, said Andrew Vitz, state ornithologist with the Massachusetts Division of Fisheries and Wildlife, quote, it's an impressively, impressively sized bird. Actually, it is one of the largest eagles in the world, end quote. This isn't just any ordinary bird. There are only about 5,000 of them in the world. Oh, wow. A stellar sea eagle can weigh up to 20 pounds and have a wingspan of up to 8 feet. 20 pounds? Said 20-pound bird? 20 pounds and That's a wingspan a of eight crazy feet. Crazy big bird. Like eight foot wing, wingspan. So, this is very similar to what was reported back in 1971. I, I'm looking at pictures of them. They're, they're fucking majestic. Yeah, the bird is native to Asia. So, with recent sightings up and down the Taunton River, it's about as far from its nesting area as one can be. Yeah. Carol Mollander said it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for her to see the bird. She snapped photos of it at Dighton Rock State Park. Now, we're going to talk about Dighton Rock State Park because there's some really funky shit there, too, which is super interesting. Now, Carol uh, goes on to say, quote, I'm a member of many bird clubs in the area, and I got an alert on my phone that the Stellar Sea Eagle was in the area, she said. It was like a big birders party. There were over 100 people from all over New England there. The last sighting of the bird in Massachusetts was on Monday, so it's likely still in the area, and this is at the time of the story. All we do know is that it's very lost. So how crazy is that? A, a, this giant eagle, the, there's only like 5,000 of them in the world, and it's native to, to Asia, is over in Bridgewater Triangle in Massachusetts as of two months ago. If you think about it, so Asia isn't that entirely far from um, Alaska. And so if this is a bird that was spotted in Alaska, then, I mean, it could have flown over from Asia and then headed on down to, like, possibly Texas and then back headed back north because yeah. apparently it was spotted out in Maine mm -hmm. after uh, its visit to Massachusetts. Yeah, it's crazy, though. I mean, that's... That's pretty fucking far. Oh, that's real fucking far. They don't uh, normally do that, I guess. <laughs> but they were, it was spotted throughout Canada and uh, New Brunswick, Quebec, Nova Scotia. And then, yeah, so who knows? <laughs> yeah, but I wonder uh, if something similar to that happened back in, like, 71 when that, yeah, I mean, when that police officer saw the giant bird with a giant wingspan. I mean, it could have, I mean, he didn't get any pictures of it at the time, but. Yeah, no, obviously not, not really, don't have. But the, it really kind of lends some credence to the report that, like, okay, this isn't completely out of the realm of possibility. Like, look yeah, at this a, giant fucking bird that it was just over that same area just a couple of months ago. Yeah, that's a big, uh, that was a, that's a big damn bird. Eight it is foot? a huge I mean, bird. Man, that's insane. That would be terrifying to see up close. Yeah. Because that thing, oh, that yeah. could, that thing could fuck, you, fuck up. you up. Oh my God, easily. No problem. Like, oh, squish. Fucking, those Italians must be just 
monstrous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that beak is very uh, impressive. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, giant crazy birds not native to the area. Seen over the area just uh, a couple of months back here. I thought yeah. that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. There's also been reports of giant huge sw snakes in the Hockamock Swamp. Now, these reports came out of, like, uh, the early 1930s when some CCC workers, I really tried to find out what CCC stood for because I'm like, okay, well, like, who the fuck were these guys? But I couldn't. <laughs> but apparently some triple C workers reported seeing some huge snakes in the, in the swamp. They were coiled in the pathways and, quote, as big as a stovepipe. Wow. Yes. Those are some big motherfuckers. Now, in 1976, there was another giant animal, and this was a, a huge black, uh, quote, killer dog with red eyes. Oh. And it was reporting, it was reporting, um, it was reported in Abington by an Abington firefighter named Philip Kane, who said it ripped the throats out of his two ponies. Damn. Yeah, late one night, and I hear and some commotion a, going on, and this 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 giant black dog with red eyes, and it ripped the and it attacked his ponies, ripped their throats out. Was it standing on two legs, or was it like a four legged dog? Uh, there's no mention of it standing on two legs, but he, sure he did he did fire a shot at it from his Oof. pistol, which he missed the creature, and it you know ran off and disappeared into the night. And uh, a lot of the the police they. It was, like, searched for for several weeks following um, the attack on this guy's ponies, and nothing was ever found of it. Huh. That wouldn't be very cool. No. Giant, black, vicious dogs. Mm-hmm. Or wolves or whatever the fuck. Yeah, it makes you think of the, the dog from uh, The Omen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about Cujo? Yeah, Cujo, except Cujo wasn't black, you know, That's he was true. like, Cujo That's was true. like, uh, freaking, what was he, um, he was that St. Bernard, wasn't he? <laughs> I think so, I don't, I don't really know, something like that, I don't think it was a St. Bernard, though. I was thinking maybe you are gonna Google it real quick. Oh, but... <laughs> sure. Oh, it is a St. Bernard, I'll be damned. Yeah, I knew it, I knew it, Cujo was a St. Bernard. Which is weird, because that, like, you know, there's also that movie Beethoven about a very, you know, lovable Saint Bernard. Yeah, two, two vastly different Saint Bernards. Right. Well, I suppose <laughs> Beethoven could have been like Cujo too if he too was, you know, infected with rabies. True. Anyone could be like Cujo if they're a contract if they contract rabies. Exactly. Rabies is terrible. Well, moving right along, let's talk about some interesting non-animal things and places. One of them, you ready to hear about some puck wedgies or possible puck wedgies? I'm, I, I'm, I was born ready. <laughs> there is the John Seeley Sawmill. Now, that is located on Mill Street in Easton. And the sawmill dates back to the 18th century. And 
there is a sign there that says John Seeley's son Nathan was known to be a wizard who used satanic imps to run the mill overnight. Huh. However, there are those that believe that perhaps Nathan Seeley actually employed puck wedgies to run the sawmill. Well, interesting with the last name of Seeley. Because, you know, the fairies are Seely and Unseely. That's true. The Seelys are the good ones and the Unseely are bad, so. Hmm. Yeah, so you can actually, the, the mill still exists today, and uh, you can, you know, decide for yourself whether <laughs> <laughs> whether uh, Nathan Seely used uh, devil's imps or whether he used some, like, friendly cute puck wedgies to, to run the mill, but... I mean, you can you can go there today and figure it out. I don't know if you can figure it out. You can just oh, draw your own conclusions. Is all I I'm see. saying you can you can go there. You can look and, for evidence and, decide, and maybe yeah, decide for yourself what what you think. What what version of the legend do you think is true? I see. I see. Well, I'm always hoping for puck wedgies. So <laughs> I figured he would. I I thought it was. I thought that was be like cooler than like you know another like satanic. Like oh, he used you know, oh more devils from it. Yeah, uh, he used devils to run the mill day and night. But no, it actually, I prefer I mean, to think is puck wedgie friends. Yeah, and it, uh, I mean, it's kind of on brand for him too. Right. As long as you don't change shit up. <laughs> now another uh, interesting thing uh, within the Bridgewater Triangle is uh, a rock called Solitude Rock. It's out in West Bridgewater, just by the side of the road, and it, there is a poem carved into it. The poem reads, All ye who in future days walk by Nuncatesset stream, love not him who hummed his lay, cheerful to the parting beam, but the beauty that he wooed in this quiet solitude. Now, when this was discovered in the early 1900s, there was a lot of, um, you know, effort made to find out, like, who the fuck carved this poem on the rock. Yeah, totally. I'm sure. And eventually it was found to be uh, or concluded to be one Reverend Timothy Otis Payne, who in 1852... um, carved the rock he originally lived in winslow maine and had moved to east bridgewater to serve as a pastor and then decided to carve some fucking (laughs) poem on a rock yep now the last thing i'm going to talk about for today's episode is dighton rock so remember how they're the people gathering to see the giant bird were at like dighton rock state park yeah. Well, the Dighton Rock is a very interesting rock. It's actually a 40-ton boulder, and it was originally found in the riverbed of the Taunton River. And it's covered in all these strange petroglyphs, and no one has been able to figure out who put them on there or what they mean. Really? The rock was first written about all the way back in 1680. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. So it's so been, it's there, been a there a really fucking time. long time. Yeah, it's been there a really long time. As long as white people have been around, at least. Probably and longer. Yeah, they think much longer. It's six-sided. It's about five feet high, nine and a half feet wide, and 11 feet long. And it has lots of uh, pictures and petroglyphs on it. And nobody has been able to really decipher what any of it means or who put it on there. Um, theories range from Native American to Vikings, Portuguese, and even ancient Phoenicians. I could get behind Vikings, definitely get behind natives. I don't know anything about ancient Phoenicians coming to North America. Right, I don't know either. And but then I mean, Portuguese too, but apparently it was removed from the riverbed in 1963 and is now in a museum located at Dighton Rock State Park. And if you go and see Dighton Rock, there's different... Um, I guess, explanations for, like, the different theories as to, like, why it might be uh, indigenous American, why it might be Portuguese, why it might be ancient Phoenician. So there's, like, a little card with, like, each of the theories and why they think, like, it so might like, be So, like, like, gives possible. you all the different, yeah, busts yeah. out all the different theories for you and that Yeah, sort of thing. but nobody has been ever, ever been able to figure out, you know, which is the right one. Right, well, that doesn't surprise me so much. <laughs> Just because there wasn't really, the I guess, there, I mean, there's really wasn't a whole lot else in the area found that they could, like, really um, put it to some, you know, uh, place in time or, you know, who who was visiting at the time, who was native to the land at the time. It's just this, like, kind of, like, one big rock out there that just has all these petroglyphs on it and... Yeah. I mean, there's been, if, it's, if it's been in the river for God knows how long, then mm -hmm. it's going to be worn down. So it's probably really tough to even nail down how old it is. Like, they, yeah. like okay, well, we know it was first found in 1680 or whatever. Right. So it was first written about in 1680 by colonial settlers. Yeah, um, and it was probably old when those, when those people found it. Yeah. So, and then it was in the river for a really long time. Like, all the way, it wasn't removed and put into a museum until 1963. So. Yeah. So for... Hundreds of years after, it was still, yeah, that's fucking wild. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That's absolutely crazy. That would be cool to figure out what it said, but unfortunately, the English and French and Spanish did a really good job of just fucking decimating this entire continent filled with people. So we probably will never figure out what it says. Right. I, I doubt that we ever will. Unless we're very lucky. Yeah, who knows what the, who who knows what the future might hold, but uh, I think it's pretty awesome. It's pretty crazy, like just this like big boulder just in the middle of a riverbed, like with all this stuff on it. And no one can yeah. really figure out where the fuck it came from and who the fuck put this shit on. But what there the fuck it, it is. says, yeah, that's there fucking it wild. Is. Have you ever heard of bat squatch? I have not heard of bat squatch, but oh my god, yeah, I'm I already like not liking this. I hadn't heard of Bat Squatch either. Well, uh, Bat Squatch is a Washington State cryptid. Is it a bat? A kind of, kind of. It's uh, about nine feet tall, eight or nine <sighs> feet tall. It's got like a wolf face. 
And so people, you know, there's like the flying fox bats. So people, that's why they kind of call it bat squatch is because it's got this kind of like batty, wolfy kind of face. Yeah, like those giant bats. Yeah, yeah, that are honestly pretty cute. Fruit bats, you know, they got like the, they got like like flying foxes, you know, they got these very mammalian faces, not like a vampire bat that looks like fucking Voldemort. Right. Although Um, all bats to me are just like, ugh. That's fair. Well, this one's nine feet tall. Bags. It's got bluish fur. And then it's got like the tufted ears on top of its head. Uh, white teeth, like sharp teeth in the mouth, uh, yellow eyes, yellowish eyes, and uh, it's got wings. Oh, God. It's got two large wings. Uh, some people say it's got up to like a 50-foot wingspan, which if it is, if it doesn't have hollow bones, it would make sense. It would need to have such large wings if it was going to fly away. Uh, this was, it was originally, or the first the first article I found about it was written in 1994. It's the News uh, Tribune out of Tacoma, Washington. Okay. And it is dated April 24th, 1994. Mount Rainier area youth has close encounter in the foothills. The engine died and the dashboard lights fell dark. Although he hadn't applied his brakes, the pickup he was driving stopped suddenly, abruptly, square in the middle of the road, there between the edge of the forest and a scrubby, clear-cut field. His headlights cut a hole through the night. He sat wondering what was wrong, and then he saw the feet descending. Bird feet. Claw feet. No! And the legs, the torso, the chest, and the wings folded, attached to the back of the broad shoulders. Then the head, that face, the creature, nine feet tall, thirty feet away, blue-tinted fur, yellowish eyes, tufted ears, and sharp, straight teeth. With a dust-rising thud, it landed. Brian Canfield, 18, held tight the steering wheel. He was alone on his way home from Buckley to the isolated settlements of Camp 1, located in the Mount Rainier foothills above Lake Kapowson. At 9.30, a week ago Saturday night, he doesn't drink, he doesn't take drugs, he's a high school senior known locally as an average, normal kid. Quote, it was standing there staring at me like it was resting, like it didn't know what to think, unquote. Canfield says, quote, I was scared. It raised the hair on me. I didn't feel threatened. I just felt out of place, unquote. We were sitting in a camper outside the Canfield home a few days after the encounter. I'd heard Brian's story from a neighbor and asked for an interview. He is no fan of heavy metal music, and he's never played Dungeons and Dragons. The real well, straight shooter. There you go. Real straight shooter. He's never seen a UFO. He remains baffled by what he saw. Quote, its eyes were yellow and shaped like a piece of pie with pupils like half moons. The mouth was pretty big. White teeth, no fangs. The face was li- the face was like a wolf, unquote, he says. Can he smell anything? Hear anything? I ask him to close his eyes and remember. He can hear the wind. He smells gasoline. He'd been having trouble with his carburetor. Quote, it's looking right at me, like in a deep stare, like right through me. It's standing perfectly still, unquote. It stood for how long? A few minutes? Several minutes? Then its fingers twitched and its wings began to unfold. The wings were as wide as the road. Quote, 
It turned its head and looked back at me and started flapping its wings, unquote, Canfield says. Then slowly it rose, and so great was the turbulence, the truck began to rock and sway. Slowly, the creature flew off in the direction of Mount Rainier. Quote, a few minutes later, the truck just started, unquote, Canfield says. Quote, I took off as fast as I could, unquote. He drove home. Quote, I just flew in the house. I woke my mom and dad up. I told my dad to grab the gun and a camera and come with me. While he was getting dressed, I told them what happened. I almost couldn't breathe. Unquote. Quote, I could tell something was wrong the way he ran in, unquote, says his mother, Sandra. Quote, he said, really, I gotta talk to you. We just gotta talk. Unquote. They went into the living room. He was shaking. Quote, his mouth was dry. He was pale. His hair was still standing on end, Sandra says. She handed him a tablet, and he began to draw what he'd seen. A few minutes later, they visited a neighbor, a man who knows the woods, and they soon drove back to the spot on the road. Within the silence and the night, they found no trace of the creature. The neighbor says, I know I saw something, but I don't know what, I, what it was. Canfield told a story at school early last week. Some friends believe him, and some have begun to begun to tease him. One friend helped him with the sketch, and others have come up with a name for the creature. Batsquatch. Quote, I'm really not into this stuff, unquote, Canfield says. Quote, it boggles my mind. Really hardcore. I can't really explain it. It's weird. Definitely weird. I don't like it. Usually stuff like this happens to someone else, unquote. This past week, I've spoken both with neighbors and with Canfield's family. I believe his story. I believe he saw something that night a week ago, and I have no idea what he saw. I've spoken with experts on legends and creatures, and none know of a being such as this. But I believe Brian Canfield, and I believe that we daily face so many things, real things fearful. Drugs. Gangs. AIDS. Violence. Divorce. Poverty. Rwanda. Bosnia. Tuberculosis. North Korea, and so on down the list. That is almost pleasant to consider a monster no one can explain. It's pleasant for the rest of us, perhaps, but not for Brian Canfield. Quote, it did happen. I'm willing to put my life on it, unquote, he says. Quote, I just have this picture in front of my head, the picture of it standing there. I can't get rid of it. It's just there. I kind of wish it didn't happen, unquote. And that was written by a gentleman called C.R. Roberts. And there is a picture of the critter that was uh, drawn by Canfield's friend. And it looks a little bit... Do you know about, like, the cartoon The Tick? No, but I was actually picturing the bats in the intro to Scooby-Doo when he described the eyes. Oh, yeah, maybe a little bit with the eyes, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, well, basically, anyone who's seen The Tick, this critter basically looks like The Tick with wings. Mm. The Tick is a pretty good uh, cartoon, and they did a live-action show as well that was uh, also good. Ticks are gross. Yeah, he doesn't actually play a Tick. He's a superhero called the Tick because he's dressed vaguely like a Tick. Not not even really. I mean, he's got like... <laughs> it's like, why would you want that to be like, like a blue your suit superhero with... costume? Like a his, fucking he's, Tick he's, he's a real weird dude. His battle cry is Spoon. So okay, it's it's a really funny cartoon. You may or may not like it. So there was also some more recent uh, sightings of this thing. 
In 2009, a bunch of hikers uh, near Mount Shasta in California saw it flying out of like a part of the mountain. Oh, uh, they gosh. think it had like a 50 foot wingspan. Holy um, shit. And then like 2011, people saw it flying around someplace too, uh, but no real concrete evidence. There's some weird shit up on Mount Shasta. That's like a huge like 411 yeah. spot. There's a, the people see uh, UFOs up there all the time too. So I'm not overly surprised they see that, that weird shit gets seen bat there. Bat squatch I mean, is out there too. Yeah. Yeah, but bat squatch is just a fucking stupid name. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's just it's just a dumb name. I read some things where they think that maybe um, it has come from like the Hollow Earth or something, and it came up here uh, after the. Um, Mount St. Helens eruption. Okay. But, uh, you know, nothing real, nothing real concrete on old Batsquatch. <laughs> <laughs> so the other one I have here is an article. This is the thing that's kind of a cryptid. And I call it kind of a cryptid because it did 100% exist at one time. Okay. It's a Tasmanian tiger. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was alive. There's, there's a, footage of it existing in Australia back in like the 1930s. Well, this article came out in February 4th, 2021 on mangabay.com. Study suggests the Tasmanian tiger survived into the 21st century. In July 2019, Australian authorities on the island of Tasmania received a report of a footprint spotted by an unnamed individual on a walk up to Sleeping Beauty Mountain in the southeast of the state. Wasn't able to take a photo. However, he Googled it when he got home and believes it was a Tasmanian tiger. The report reads, according to the Tasmanian Department of Primary Industries, Parks, Water, and Environment. Well, that's a mouthful. Which is D-P-I-P-W-E. So D-Pip-Wee is what I'll call it. <laughs> D-Pip-Wee. That same year, a government plant biologist saw what they believed to be a Tasmanian tiger or thylacine from 30, me 30 meters, 100 feet, away in a remote area. Good description given bounded into the bush, the report states. In 2018, three cyclists said they witnessed a thylacine crossing the road in front of them. These are just three of more than 1,200 alleged thylacine sightings reported between 1910 and 2019 in Tasmania that have been collated and analyzed by Barry Brook, a mammal ecologist at the University of Tasmania, and colleagues to create the Tasmanian Thylacine Sighting Records Database, which they used to estimate an extinction date for the thylacine. Their findings were released in preprint format in January through BioRxiv. Uh, which is just some, I don't know, really know what it is, but it's their like official report on it. It's some PDF that you can find and it's like 20 or 25 pages long. And it just talks about all their shit. Uh, so it was released pre-print format in January and undergoing peer review and indicate the iconic Australian marsupial predator most likely died out in the late 1990s or early 2000s, decades later than had been assumed. The results surprised even Brooke. Contrary to expectations, the inferred extinction window is wide and relatively recent, spanning from the 1980s to the present day, 
with extinction most likely in the late 90s or early 2000s, the paper says. While improbable, these aggregate data and modeling suggest some chance of ongoing persistence in the remote wilderness of the island. Which is to say, they think there might be some out there still. Contrary to expectations is arguably an understatement. The thylacine was declared extinct by IUCN in 1982. IUCN is just the, uh, the list of threatened species. Officially, the last known living thylacine died in 1936 in Hobart Zoo. But, as a database compiled by Brooke and his team shows, evidence for its continued survival emerges every year. Most of these reports are likely to be cases of mistaken identity or outright fabrications, but Brooke took this into account in his modeling. He and his, his team assessed each reported sighting according to its likely veracity and then used these probabilities to estimate when the thylacine is most likely to have died out. The Sleeping Beauty sighting, for existence, was rated a 2 out of possible 5, meaning it was given little chance of being true. The other two both received a 4. The first because it was made by a scientist, the second more because, because more than one person has involved, was involved. Both factors that reduce the possibility the report was outright lies or that the observer mistook another species for a thylacine. So it's basically how the uh, Bigfoot thing uh, research is done, is they, they assign it, you know, depending upon the, they, like how good the sighting is, who mm -hmm. made the sighting, how much information they have if there's more than one person then they can give it a star rating as well for however it's how how likely it is to be the case the records of an average joe who might have seen one are given about a one percent probability of being correct brooke told manga bay in a zoom interview whereas someone like a park ranger or in the earlier days bushmen and trappers would both have had a much better chance of getting it right and were given about a 25 to 50 percent chance probability of being right Brooks' data suggests that if thylacines do survive, or did until 20 or so years ago, then they are, or were, most likely holding out in the western and southwestern portions of the island. Areas such as Franklin Gordon Wild Rivers National Park and their broader Wilderness World Heritage Area are extremely inaccessible, and Brooks says it is plausible a few individuals could be out there without being detected. And though this region wouldn't be optimal habitat for thylacines, it's clear that panda melons, which are small, chunky, kangaroo-like marsupials of the genus Thylogale, and wallabies, known from old accounts to be their favorite prey, live there in sufficient numbers to support populations in reduced densities. Other studies looking at the likely survival of the thylacine have come up with very different results. In 2017, Colin Carlson, an ecologist with an interest in modeling the extinction risk for species, published a paper in conservation biology that placed the likelihood of the thylacine still surviving at a 1 in 1.6 trillion. The likely extinction date was sometime between 1936 and 1943, he wrote, with the most optimistic scenario suggesting it did not persist beyond the 1960s. The search for the thylacine, much like similar efforts to rediscover the ivory-billed woodpecker and other recently extinct charismatic species, is likely to be fruitless. Carlson and his co-authors wrote. But species in Australian wildlife contacted by Manga Bay said Brooks's paper was a worthwhile contribution to thylacine science. Bill Lawrence of James Cook University in Queensland, and who led an expedition to Cape York, Cape York, the northernmost tip of the Australian continent, to search for the thylacine and other mammals in 2017, said the question of when or if the thylacine went extinct 
depends on data of uncertain quality. At least what Barry has done is to take the shot at trying to quantify the probability, and that sounds like an eminently sensible thing to do, he said. Lawrence pointed out that a number of supposedly extinct, extinct species have subsequently been rediscovered, including the coelacanth. You know, that big-ass fucking fish thing that they found in, like, off... Right. Yeah, that's from the dinosaur days. The Wallamy pine, the mountain pygmy possum, and the selenodon. I don't know what the selenodon is. Sounds like a dinosaur. <laughs> it does sound like a dinosaur. But it is a venomous mammal. Oh. And it looks a little bit like a shrew. It's got, like, a long snout, and it's got four legs, and, yeah, cute. About the size of a possum, it looks like. Like an and American possum. And it's poisonous, possum. huh? Venomous, yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Crazy little critter. Well, it's cute. Anyway, I think it's really important to maintain that frame of mind. When you expect some surprises, you try to be rigorous when you go about your science and be upfront about your uncertainties, Lawrence told Manga Bay via Zoom. Jack Ashby, assistant director of the Museum of Zoology at the University of Cambridge in the UK, and an expert on Australian mammals described the Tasmanian Thylacine Sighting Records Database as an extraordinary resource. They have put together every possible sighting that has been recorded and gone far beyond what the government maintains. It is fantastic, he said. It is fantastically exciting for the future of thylacine science. Others are less sure about whether the use of these sightings records is appropriate. Nick Mooney, a former wildlife manager at D. Pipwee and a well known conservationist, and writer said in a telephone interview that in his experience, people were very likely to see a Tasmanian species, such as a wallaby, and imagine what they believed to be a thylacine. Observers are also commonly greatly underestimated the distance at which they saw the creature. Mooney investigated the most well-known and arguably most credible thylacine sighting in the past half century. On a rainy night in 1982, park ranger Hans Narding was sleeping in his vehicle when he woke up to find one right in front of him. He was unable to take a photograph, but reported watching it for three minutes. Because Narding was a wildlife expert, the consensus is that he could not have been mistaken. It was either genuine, an outright fabrication, or very possibly, though this is somewhat considered, somewhat countered by the length of time Narding had said the encounter lasted, an illusion or waking dream. As a result, it's very hard to reach any conclusion about its accuracy, Mooney said. He has, however, heard one account, dating back to 1973, from a friend that he does believe. In fact, Brooke hasn't even included all the sightings of recent years, according to Warren Derrug of the Thylacine Research Unit, called True. Some of the sightings they hear about are put on their website, but the best ones we keep under our hat, Dara said. I would reckon there are a half a dozen high-quality sightings not included in the Brooke papers. He, he added, including three from 2020. Despite these reports, Derek and his two colleagues within the TRUE start from the premise that the thylacine is probably extinct. Brooks said his paper showed the value of assembling, curating, and maintaining a database of not just scientific records, but sightings by the public. Scientific records, including visual evidence such as camera trap data, have the advantage of being more likely to be correct, but they can never match the quantity supplied by lay observers and witnesses. It emphasizes that if you can gather and encourage the best use of citizen science data, then that's helpful for, helpful for a species on the brink of extinction, Brooks said. We want people to think that if you report a sighting, you are not going to be laughed at. You're not going to be believed or disbelieved. 
it will be taken into account in a rigorous and fair way. And I think that's a good message to communicate to people. Brooke also rejects criticism that the hunt for the thylacine diverts resources and attention away from animals more deserving of conservation active. Charismatic species can help to attract funding for work that would not otherwise have happened, he said. Brooke gives the thylacine about a 1 in 10 probability of still surviving. With camera traps increasingly used by scientists, Brooke uses a fleet of 500 to monitor how mammal populations respond to land use changes and climate changes. And groups such as the Thylacine Research Unit, he says it's almost now or never for this species. If it hasn't been photographed in the next decade, then we can really close the book on the Thylacine, Brooks said. Never before have we had such an excellent opportunity to detect it. It's fucking crazy that something that hasn't been seen for so long, people are like, I don't know, maybe this is still alive. And it gets seen a lot. I mean, a lot, a lot. So... Imagine if you were cool. like in the woods and you just suddenly saw like a dodo bird or something. Yeah, yeah, it would be it would be something like that. You'd be like, the fuck? Mm-hmm. Tasmanian tiger. Now, where did it die? Was it just like hunted, or is it just like people being people and like destroying its habitat? Oh, I'm I I don't know. I think it was hunted. It's called the Tasmanian tiger, so I'm sure it was probably chomping on livestock, and people were mad about it, so they fucking treated it like wolves, basically. Yeah, also That's, probably like, you know, like the great white hunter syndrome. It's like, look at my trophy. Oh, yeah, I'm probably there's there, I'm sure there's a lot of that as well. Mhm. I mean, there that was the big deal in the back in the day was I'm a great white hunter. Yep. Look Pick at all the animals I killed. Yeah, look at all these heads here. Mhm. Yeah. It's so gross. It is absolutely gross. I mean, I'm not against hunting, but hunting just to kill is dumb. Hunting trophy hunting is fucked up. It is. Hunting because really you is. like to hunt and you want to eat the animal? Fucking do it. That's fine. Right. But there's, there's no reason. There's hunting for actual use. There's hunting for, like, the good of the herd. Like, sometimes. Yeah. 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 Like, you have to, like, thin it out to for, for the good of the herd. But, um, but yeah, hunting just to, like, fucking, you know, Kill. skin it or, like, chop its head off and mount it on your wall. I don't, I don't agree up. with that 100%. It's fucked mm-hmm. up. Uh, there we have it, folks. We have an episode full of cryptids and then a kind of cryptid. Right. Cryptid-ish. Cryptid-like. Cryptid-ish. It, I mean, it's it's been thought to be extinct for so long that it's practically a cryptid now if one yeah. sees it. <laughs> and that's wild. That's you know, it's a it's a great uh, a great resource for for tracking animals and and everything like that with that whole uh, thing. And I mean, they like I t- like I said earlier, it's that's how they do it on the Bigfoot. Uh, yeah, like the the whole like too. rating, like there's a there's yeah. a scale for it. Yeah. So that's good stuff. Well, thank you all very much for listening to the show. You can join our Patreon, Patreon.com/StrangerThan. For two dollars, you get our regular episodes, but ad free. And then for five dollars a month, you get a bonus true crime episode, in addition to the other two episodes. You can check out the website of the podcast syndicate we are a part of, ageofradio.org. Our specific part of that website is ageofradio.org slash stranger than, where you can stream our episodes if you want. There's tons of other podcasts there. Listen to them. It'll be lovely. You can send us stories of your encounters with weird things. I don't mean just weird people, but things like ghosts or aliens or Bigfoot or a puckwudgie or 
fairies or whatever, uh, send us your stories. We would love to read them on the podcast. Uh, we can do it anonymously or non-anonymously. Non-anonymously, it's completely up to you. You can check out our social medias. Stranger Than or Stranger Than Podcast is what we will be called at any sites that we may be at. And I think with that, we will talk to you next time. And stay strange. Thank you.